Hey, what's up? It's Brian from Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories. Uh, you hear us talk about the Patreon, the Patreon page, patreon.com slash rock and roll bedtime stories. Maybe you don't know what that is. Let me just give you a really quick rundown of what it means to us and what it can mean for you. So uh, Patreon is set up so that you uh, pay a subscription fee to us for extra content. So all of the regular stuff that you enjoy about the show stays free. The flagship episodes, the bonus episodes that typically go up on Friday, uh, the retolds, the forgotten bands, the albums that change my life all that stuff is is out there right so we have additional content that we do allow folks who uh support the show financially right now let me just give you a a taste right so you you get a weekly newsletter it's just a quick read with some headlines about stuff going on in rock and roll stuff going on in our personal lives uh, some of the music we're listening to all that sort of stuff sent to your email inbox and then throughout the month you get a handful of uh different things sometimes it's video sometimes it's audio right now we've got a uh, about 10 minutes of Murdoch uh, in outtake from a recording session where Murdoch is telling me a personal story that has nothing to do with rock and roll about a portable air conditioner and some real drama. So that's that's one little added bonus that you get. Uh, you also, we have an episode that is a uh, an examination of sax solos in rock and roll. We, we try to determine the five best saxophone solos in the rock canon. This is the sort of stuff that you get, right? Um, so check that out, patreon.com slash rock and roll bedtime stories. If it's in your budget, if you appreciate what we do, if you want a little more content to put into your ear holes, uh, we will give it to you right there. Patreon.com slash rock and roll bedtime stories. Don't go to sleep, mother. Don't go to sleep. And do me a favor. Don't disturb my friend. He's dead tired. Well, what the hell are you saying, Doss? You've lost half your body sleeping. I, I sleep pretty hard. Welcome to rock and roll bedtime stories. Hey, it's Brian. And hey, it's Murdoch. Welcome to Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories. I, I like the intensity level. Uh, you know you can get involved in the show. It's wearethestoryguys at gmail.com. That is what Craig did. He wrote this. He said, I used to own this VHS tape of Def Leppard playing acoustic at some tiny club that I think was in their hometown, and it was at the height of their success. What was that video called, and how did this happen? Thank you. Craig, for your letter. I, do you do you know what he's talking about? Does this ring any bells for you? I think so, but I like. I mean, man. But you know what's weird? Around that time, like I had a I had a compilation VHS tape of all of Duran Duran's videos, <laughs> but I didn't have one for Def Leppard. <laughs> There's this uh, perception I have of you, where like you know, your kid digs under your bed and finds the whole box of VHS tapes. And they're like, Oh my God, is this pornography? No, it's just, it's just Def Leppard. Or it's 120 minutes from MTV <laughs> or it's, or it's mid South wrestling from Memphis. I don't know. But is that, is that worse? Does that scar your children worse to find a, a box full of that? Who knows? You know, it's a box full of fun. If you find those things, it's true. It's true. I, not yeah. too long ago. We, we took a little field trip on the show. Do you remember? We, we, yeah, we went to long beach for our sublime. Uh-huh. Episode. Yeah, that was it. And that was fun. And the reason we did that is because it's become pretty apparent when researching, uh, some stories that place is very important. Like, for instance, I think if we were going to tell the story of Mark Murdoch, we have to talk about Lewisburg, Tennessee. We have to talk about New York City, New York. We talk about Denver. These are all important periods of your life. And a lot of times when you tell a story, I don't even know if you realize this, you'll say like, oh, I think this is when I was in Denver, right? Because the setting is important. So I feel like we have to do that here. Because otherwise, if I just talked about my hometown, I'd be like, 
um, hey, uh, well, let's. Uh, I, that's when I lived in my hometown. You know, the one with the landfill. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> I don't know really where, 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 to, where, the, where goat, to go. the goats kept falling over. You know, it's where like, the no, goats. We- the goats keep falling over. That's right. <laughs> we anyway, have, we have to know more. We have to know how those goats define you. I bring this up for our story today because I think we need another one of these field trips. The whole story sort of doesn't work if you don't understand the where of it all. And the where in this case for the band Def Leppard is Sheffield, England. What do you know about that place? I, how, what time is it? How, how long have we been in this episode? I, I are we three minutes in? Maybe three minutes. Okay. All right, so here's the Motley Crue record for everybody listening. So <laughs> you I did had, it. I had, a, I did it. I had a cassette from the Theater of Pain tour from Sheffield, England. So it's from '86. Um, they were playing Jailhouse Rock at the end, which was a disaster. Weird. Uh, but everything else was great. But I had to look up where Sheffield was. I was going to say, I did didn't. you like go to the library and get a map to figure out where Sheffield, England was? No, I had a, I had a like a big world map at home, and I had an encyclopedia. Oh um, my God! You, and had, you actually and so had to I cross-reference looked- with those things to figure out where this concert was done. Yeah. We mentioned how Zildjian symbols dated back to the 1600s when we talked about Zildjian recently. That seemed like a very long run. Sheffield, listen to this, man. Been around for much longer. That area, it it has literally been inhabited since the Stone Age. And to give you a taste of its ongoing significance, it's it's not just mentioned by Motley Crue on stage uh, in a bootleg. It is mentioned by Chaucer in Canterbury Tales. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean... Absolutely. Like one thing that Europe didn't have have was General Sherman. Like they have, we think we have things that are old and adorable in these Victorian age homes. Like they have things that are from the 11th century. They they do. And and they name themselves, you know, because their towns are so old, they're named after just what they are, what they're next to. In this case, the river sheaf. That's what Sheffield is literally named for the river that runs through it. And, And now it's like actually about a third of that space is a national park. And so it's, there's some pretty parts, but this is the same place that George Orwell in 1937 wrote this about Sheffield quote, Sheffield, I suppose could justly claim to be called the ugliest town in the old world. <laughs> so why, why do you write that? Well, I, I keep on the history of this place actually centers around steel. In fact, the reason it even comes up in Chaucer has to do with being able to reference how much of a bully Simkin the Miller was because he carried a bunch of weapons. And at the time, those weapons probably would have been made in Sheffield because that's what they did in Sheffield. In Sheffield! <laughs> that's where they were made. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Sheffield, you got to make some metal. <laughs> so, of course, Sheffield becomes key in the Industrial Revolution, as you might imagine, if they can make metal. There are periods of, of growth, and then there's a recessions, and then there's a cholera outbreak, and there's a huge flood. But the steel <laughs> factories, I know, we're moving quickly. The steel factories will define this area for most of its history. So much so that fast forward through the Great Depression to World War II, and you can imagine that if you are making weapons at a place, you get bombed. So it was a big target for bombing raids during World War II. Yeah, you you cripple the production of ammo and weapons, right? Exactly. So 
it might be fair to compare Sheffield to another city in America, to a city in America. You want to take some guesses? It's like, it, it, like Pittsburgh, yeah, East Coast. Right. Like, okay, let me be clear. I don't represent the tourism board of either place, but I think that at least in the loosest terms, if you're, if you're trying to grasp what this place is probably like, there's a lot of general commonalities, both in geography and exports between Sheffield, England and Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And it's also a smart comparison to use to get us to where we're headed for today's story, which is the late seventies and early eighties. And you probably know this, if you know much about Pittsburgh, it, you know, not a good time to own a steel mill. The, the early eighties, that was, that was not when you wanted to go buy one of those places. And this applies to Sheffield as well. Let me just double back. <laughs> Sheffield used to be the ugliest place in the world, <laughs> ugliest town in the world, according to Orwell. And then you're like, Hey, then they got a par- some parks and stuff eventually. Yeah, right, 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 right. But before all that, <clears throat> they had a recession, a cholera outbreak and a flood. Cause those are, you're like, we're going fast. I'm like, those are terrible things. <laughs> yeah. It was any rough. order in any cadence. It was very so, rough for a while. Rough going in Sheffield. So what does this have to do with it's a long way to the top if you want to rock and roll? Yeah, okay. I think we're talking about geography and steel mills. That's a good question. It, it's a pretty common story, right? The blue-collar industry births rock and roll fandom and sometimes rock and roll royalty. Mm. We see this embodied in guys like Springsteen and Bob Seger when you're looking at America. And, and Sheffield was also spreading the gospel of rock music to in, its inhabitants. But... The way this was being done in a lot of cases in these decades was in the bar scene. Yeah, that sounds familiar, right? Yeah, I mean, this this becomes a breeding ground across the world. People join for a drink, and they need some music, and you know things go from there. If you look into where live music was happening in Sheffield in the 70s, one of the first names that you're going to see is this place called the Fiesta. And there's a great promo video for this place in the show notes. And it's clearly one of these places that was meant to deal in excess. The, this idea that clearly the world is yours if you can party like this. With the greater diversity of employment and the wider horizons of the shrinking world, with the general increase in leisure hours and leisure spending, Sheffield presents a nightlife expected of any modern big city. Theatre, cinemas, late-night restaurants, discotheques, dance halls, several nightclubs, one of them the biggest in Europe, and internationally famous cabaret artists. Sheffield of the 70s... And the fact that this sort of life had come to Sheffield was a big deal, because like we said, they had this this dark history, right? So in the 60s, they're doing pretty well before things recede. And the, the this actually comes from a, a town that's about 100 miles away called Stockton. There was a club fiesta in Stockton, and the people that owned the one in Stockton eventually tried to open one in Sheffield in like 64, 65. And it's, it's basically a cabaret club. And cabaret clubs, like modern-day casinos are still doing, were able to overpay for notable talent. So between these two fiesta clubs in England during this time period in the 60s, they were booking acts like Shirley Bassey and Frank Sinatra and Ella Fitzgerald and the Four Tops. Yeah, but that's not exactly rock and roll. So how does the blue-collar audience get served? Right. I mean, that that's a good question. That That is what I'm saying, right? It's like the fiesta club, if you're going to see live music, you're going to see stuff, but it's not edgy. It's stuff from a few decades before that 
you know, again, I think the casino comparison is apt, right? So the direct answer to your question, where are the blue collar people going? The actual direct answer is probably the bottom of hotels. Because I, I, as I researched this, a lot of these bars that were starting to play rock and roll music and, and in a lot of cases, heavier and heavier rock and roll music edging into heavy metal, it, they were, it was happening in bars in the bottom of hotels. You, have you ever, you ever seen good music in a hotel bar? Yeah, um, there was. Uh, this is right out of the pandemic, and I was down. I was down in this this hotel bar that was in Franklin, Tennessee, and all it was about was the guitar player and his like amazing gigantic Gibson three thirty five that he had. That like he's just playing this gig, and and every no one else seemed at all talented at all. So I just sat there and and listened to them play. And, and when they're over, I just wanted to talk to the. I wanted to talk to the guitar player. I wanted to know like what that gig's like. So not every single one of these places in Sheffield was in a hotel, but a lot of them are in at least some sort of weird space, right? Uh, In this time period, the 70s and 80s, when you read about it in Sheffield, there are three names that come up a lot when you're talking about rock and roll uh, access and rock and roll clubs, and that's Rebels, The Buccaneer, and The Wapentake. I love the name Wapentake. Yeah, we're going to talk about that. There's this place called Rebels that I think we need to talk about first. Yeah, and I've got a description of it. And so this is so much. You're going <laughs> to love this. Okay, here's the, close, here's the description. Close your eyes. Close your eyes and, and see if you yeah. can transport yourself to this place in Sheffield, England, circa the early 1980s. You entered a dark doorway on Dixon Lane and walked up seven <laughs> short flights of stairs. By the way... Loading in and out of seven flights of stairs, I probably would have to like have someone help me out a little Dear bit. Dear God, yeah. Where, whereupon you'd pay for your ticket in a small hatch. Then you then progress through the main doors into the club, toilets to the left, main room to the right. But in the wall in front of you was a window containing a display of leather jackets and stuff and an advert for Pippi's alternative clothing shop. I want to go there. It was. It was a fairly small place. The official capacity was 600. The main room measured 2,697 square feet. And this is the best part. I'm going to read just this part and, uh, and I'll stop. So the f- awesome. The floor was always a mess of slop, which was basically <laughs> spilled beer with loads of boots, shoes, trainers, baseball boots, jumping up and down on it. And when, it got to the bottom of your jeans. It was like tar in the morning. There were TV sets on brackets high in the wall, often playing repeats of the Power Hour rock show or a feature film. So, I mean, you can imagine how fun does that sound? So, you, I mean, if you did this exercise and you close your eyes and you listen to that description, you probably have been to a place like that before. And these places, here's the thing that's missing from that description, the audio track. The audio track to these places, they just blared rock and roll very loudly. This was a thing. Shitty club blaring loud rock music. Quote, rock nights were seen as big potential money spinners at the time. Even the sprawling Roxy threw its hat in the ring with a monthly Monday night dedicated to the genre. Punters would travel from all four corners of the country to be there all on a school night, end quote. So I found a message board from like 15 plus years ago where folks are reminiscing message about their board. time. Guy dropped what he claims was the Buccaneer playlist from 1972 
1973 yeah. so that we can get this soundtrack in our heads. Do you want to read us some highlights? Oh, yeah. Yeah, here we go. School's Out by Alice, Jessica from the Almonds, Horse With No Name by America, Hold Your Head Up by yeah. Argent, Wells Fargo by Babe Ruth. Here's a fun one. Mockingbird by Barclay James Harvest. <laughs> hey Jude, <laughs> The Wizard and Supernaut by Sabbath, Lay Lady Lay Dylan, Intro and the outro, bon, Bonzo Dog Duda Band. Not the first what? time. Not the first time we've said the name of that band on this show. Just FYI, we have said that before. <laughs> uh, Chestnut by the Marebirds, Bug Eyed Beans from Venus by Captain Beefheart, Gear So Vain by Carly Simon, and It's Too Late by Carly. Now you'll see on uh, these earlier clubs in the seventies, the music is like starting to lean heavier, but there's a there's a pretty good variety of stuff happening. And these message boards are great because you get these firsthand accounts of how important this place was to people. Here's a quote from one of the former patrons too. Quote, thanks for reminding me what it was like. I remember the small bar to the left as you went in down the stairs in the main room on the right. I have some very vivid memories of standing down by the DJ's booth next to a speaker while Highway Star blasted out. It explained <laughs> it explains why my ears don't work as well as they once did. I had a fanta- I had fantastic times in that pub all those years ago. End quote. Totally awesome. Now, right? one of these things that slowly happens to these rock nights, like I said, is that they're getting louder and, and centered on heavier music. But that playlist from the Buck that was the early 70s, and here's a similar playlist from the aforementioned Rebels like a decade or so later to show you how this progression is happening. Read th- read this playlist. Yeah, here's three of Van Halen tunes, Jump, Unchained, Dance the Night Away, uh, a couple Loverboy songs, Turn Me Loose, which is a great song I haven't heard in the eons, uh, Working for the Weekend, which has a cowbell right at the beginning of that Yes, it does. Song. Yes, it does. Run. Runaway by Bon Jovi, Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath, Smoking in the Boys Room because Motley Crue had to do a cover song because they needed a single. <laughs> it's better than, by, better than Jailhouse Rock. <laughs> oh, I know. I love that right after the, by Don't Look, but right after the, we were looking at the notes, Up Around the Bend by Hanoi Rocks is directly after. More Than a Feeling Boston, Rescue Me, Y&T, and Cherry Pie by Warrant. So you can see where this scene heads. But going back to the early 70s, there's a lot of these message board stories about this place, Buccaneers. They affectionately call it the Buck. And as you start to read them, you get to ones like these. This is These are actual quotes from the board. I went away for two weeks, and when I came back, the Buck had closed. End quote. In 1973, I was working in North Wales for the summer. When it, What a shock when I returned to find that the Buck had closed up. What happened to all those people and where had they gone? The the biggest, most important place that I ever went to in college was the Mercury Theater, which was named after George Orwell from World of the Worlds. That's where that came Orwell's from. Orwell's getting Theater. a lot of coverage on this episode. <laughs> he is. The Mercury Theater was an old shoe store. And uh, I saw so much rock and roll there that sometimes I was going to see shows there three or four times a week. Um, and... It's now a, a, a bar like with multiple floors and a, a, a rooftop bar and everything. And everything above the first floor was all like nefarious activities. But yeah, I, I, I graduated from college and I came back home and I like went directly there and it was closed. I was like oh. by myself. Oh, you, you describing that place reminds me of Third Base Tavern. 
Do you remember doing events in Third Base Tavern, where the third I the do. third floor was like a see through dance floor? That is correct. The Third Base Tavern. Oh my <laughs> it God. is. It is no longer there either. It's it's like a hipster burger place or something now. It is is not the bar it used to be. There is this this thing that happens to those spaces, right? They're sacred, and then they get shittier and shittier and shittier, and then they disappear. Are you looking for a good rock and roll book? Do you watch a ton of rock and roll documentaries like me? Well, that's why I started the Rock Talk Studio podcast, to be the place to go for previews, reviews, and recommendations on rock and roll books, documentaries, and movies. Every first Tuesday of the month, the Rock Talk Studio gets you caught up on all the latest and points out where to go for the good stuff. Every 15-minute podcast explores the world of rock and roll books, docs, and movies from every possible angle to leave you with a no-doubt decision on where to spend your time and money. Fan or just casual fan, or maybe you're on the fence and you're looking for something new to check out, either way, I got you covered. Bonus episodes features interviews with talent like New York Times bestselling author Alan Paul, who just came on the show to discuss his new Allman Brothers book, Brothers and Sisters. Join me, Big Rick, every first Tuesday of the month as I host the Rock Talk Studio podcast, the ultimate review of rock and roll books, documentaries, and movies. This guy asks in this message board, he, he actually poses the question, what happened to all the people who used to hang out there? And so I was interested in this. I found this clue, quote, most had rehoused themselves at the WAP where Olga the Buck's landlady had resurfaced. So, was that in English? What was what did what did you just say? <laughs> there are a lot of words there that I wasn't familiar with, but one of them that stood out was the name Olga. Like that's not a severely rock and roll name at all. No, no, no. Olga makes me think of Vikings opera. Yeah, yeah. The there Vikings? you go. There you go. The, the Viking helmet, like maybe on the opera stage, but the Viking helmet. The, okay, so I went digging to see what would happen if I cross referenced the buccaneer with the name Olga, and what I found was the story of that other bar that I mentioned that we haven't talked about yet, the Wapentake. And that's what they called it, the WAP. So they called it the Buck and the WAP. Those, those were these two bars where you could go hear rock and roll. Now, if you're, if you're not driving or doing something right now and you're listening to this, I want you to hit the show notes, and I want you to pull up a photo of this woman, Olga Marshall. It is labeled in the show notes, photo of Olga. Go look at this. Not what I would think of as rock and roll pioneer. Like th- this is a right. great uh, a stop down, a place where we might consider naming this episode, don't judge a book by its cover. Because this right, is right. not what I would have anticipated a woman who runs a bar known for heavy metal music to look like. Okay, so there, there's not a ton out there about her, but some of what I was able to dig up makes me think that she might have worked at the Fiesta Club. That's the place I talked about up top where Shirley Bassey and Frank Sinatra were hanging out. It, she might have been there, but it's a little unclear. It, it seems that she worked her way up. She started sort of as a barmaid, and she eventually will become a lot more than that. But she ends up running the Buccaneer. That appears to be what happens is at some point she starts taking over management of one of these places and so she's at the buck and there's this interview where she talks about how the buck becomes known for playing tunes quote we'd only got a jukebox so i spoke to the management about getting a dj in i tracked down george webster who'd been playing a competing night spot the buccaneer took more on our first night with George than it did on an average weekend. Now, this is an important point that we haven't really touched on yet. The stars of this scene in Sheffield will become the DJs. 
the, the guys playing the records in these clubs. If you go back and look at these message boards I'm mentioning, they're full of reminiscing, and all of them have entries stating by full name the guys who were behind the turntables at these places. They gained reputations and they gained followings. Yeah, and as a guy who gets excited when I get to play other people's music I love, I do love this. Yeah, it's, sure. it's sort of fun. And this becomes key to the story, because when the Buccaneer closes, Olga does in fact go to get another gig. She goes to this other bottom of a hotel eatery, and this is the one that you, you said you liked the name of. This is how we get to the Wapentake. All right, what is the Wapentake? Because I did not look up what the Wapentake is. Okay, so means. this is interesting. The word itself, the definition of it is technically, quote, a subdivision of a shire or county corresponding to a hundred, whatever that oh. means. But if you actually look into the origin of the word, it comes from the Norse, and it has to do with brandishing a weapon. Literally, it is Wapentake. So Wapentake. W-A-P-E-N-T-A-K-E, sort of stretch that out, it becomes a weapon take. Do you remember what I said Sheffield's connection to Chaucer was? Oh, yeah. It's like steel weapons. What are steel weapons made of? Heavy metal? Right, right, right. Okay, so there's uh, maybe that may be a stretch. There's some real symmetry and poetry, though, in all of this, for sure. Now, when Olga goes to work at the Wapentake, they are a lunch spot for middle-class shoppers because it is, as I said, in the bottom of a hotel. But it's not just in the bottom of any hotel. You're not going to believe this, but I found a newsreel from the mid-1960s. I want to say this is like 1964. This is Movie Town. Leslie Mitchell reporting. One of the most modern hotels in Europe and quite the most up-to-date in the provinces. That's the proud claim of this new luxury hotel in Sheffield, which has just extended a welcome to its first guests. It'll be hard to find fault with any of the 102 bedrooms or the penthouse suites with their extensive views from the top of the 12-story building. So imagine going to the movies in the 1960s in Europe and being fed this commercial, right? This is this is the come to Sheffield that we're talking about that leads to places like the Fiesta Club, right? But when the Wapentake is really starting to take off, it's a decade old, this hotel is, right? And I, I have a feeling that the scenes are starting to show. It's, you know, it's still a little fancy, but it's not quite maybe the place that it used to be. And so when Olga gets there, She's quick to tell the proprietors that she knows how she can make some serious money with their space in the bottom. And it's not in the midday shopper market for the folks that are looking for lunch when they're out grabbing something. She says instead, let me call this same DJ that I had spinning at the Buccaneer and bring him over here. And that's how George Webster, he'll go on to be a pretty big deal at other places, but he gets his start first at the Buck and then working with Olga at this place the whopping take okay so to recap for everybody at home and for me for pete's sake sheffield i'm not going to do it again in that loud vince neal voice is a depressed <laughs> economy pretending to be glitzy there's an uh, underground trend of of going to dark nightclubs and but instead of like dancing to edm their their djs playing loud rock music and it gets popular and at the center of the business in this single city, Sheffield, see, I can't not do it, is a matronly woman named Olga. So I had to reverse engineer the math, but at the height of where we are headed with this story, I'm pretty sure that Olga is like 50 years old. That's okay. That's how She has four kids. 
and she's not the type of woman you'd expect to be brainchilding this plan. She rather by stereotype actually looks like she'd be in that lunchtime shopping crowd that the Wapentake used to draw. But she sees the rock and roll working and she is like, listen, this is leading to dollar signs, right? And so she starts to think about what comes next. If people love loud music playing from the stereo, what if we brought actual bands and let them play loud music in this space? Oh, Olga Book and Dance. She's she's becoming a promoter. And so in 1978, that newsreel is 15 years old at this point, right? And that hotel is starting to tarnish. And the town is on the verge of really feeling this industrial collapse that we mentioned that hits full on in the 80s. But it's the opening swing of all of that depression in 1978. It hasn't fully hit yet. And so this is causing something interesting to happen. Industrial workshops are starting to close these industrial spaces that had been really profitable in the 50s and 60s. And so as the industry moves out, artist types start to move in to squat or live for free in these industrial spaces. You you love box sets. You're like the box set guy, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, have, let's talk about it. Have you ever seen this one, Dreams to Fill the Vacuum? The Sound of Sheffield, yeah. 77 to 88? Yeah. Let's yeah. talk about it. Yeah. Uh, pulp, Heaven 17, Human <laughs> League, ABC. I love that you I love that you know this. So, well, yeah, that's just the stuff that breaks, though. The list you just read is the stuff people have heard of. Most of that box is bands it, like... It's a window. It, it's crazy. Like, Pulp's, Pulp's like, I was going to say contemporary. They're like 25, 30 years old. But all those other bands are 80s. You know, oh, new yeah. wave bands. So there's like Texmere H, Vendino Pact, the Surface Mutants. These are bands that were pretty particular to Sheffield. They don't necessarily break out of Sheffield, but this stuff starts as sort of reactionary in art school. And and so what we've been talking about up to this point is American radio rock being played on turntables and bars. It's it's not what's happening when Pulp and the Human League and ABC break in Sheffield. So if you're going to transition or go to this live experience where you're bringing in live bands, you need a local band that's young and hungry and audacious, but not principled. Right, you don't you don't need these guys who are squatting in these spaces and trying to prove something about life. And so to borrow from another episode of the show from way back, this all lines up to bring us to a bus stop in Sheffield, England, 1977. There's an 18-year-old kid named Joe Elliott trying to catch a bus, and he misses it. And in the moments after, he's standing there in the exhaust fumes of the automobile, and he makes the acquaintance of a guy named Pete Willis, who has a band called Atomic Mass. And they happen to be looking for a guitar player, and Joe plays guitar and gets an invite to audition. But when he does, the band decides he actually might be better suited to take on being the lead singer. Oh my gosh, we're getting to talk about Def Leppard. Virtual high five for everybody. We're talking about Def Leppard. They play their first gig in a school cafeteria while Joe is making posters in an art class. He comes up with this phrase that he likes, Def Leppard, but Def is D-E-A-F. Well, he changes it to D-E-F because they're afraid that the other way looks too punk rock, which in retrospect is funny to me. Uh, and, And when they start, looking for more gigs after they have conquered the high school cafeteria, they run into a woman named Olga Marshall and she offers them 15 pounds, which is not a lot of money at the time to try playing live at the Wapentake. I love that Def Leppard and Olga 
it's like to, it just it just rolls off your lips <laughs> as a story. <laughs> and of course, it's not a very long time until they become one of the biggest bands in the world. It happens really quickly for Def Leppard. I always forget this, but they they form in what seventy seven? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they form seventy seven. And when's high and dry? So that's eighty one. They're starting when like. You know, punk is kind of becoming a bigger thing. Well, that's what I'm talking about. You've got next to them in Sheffield, you have these bands like Human League and right. Pulp and ABC that become sort of new wave, but they're really born out of the punk scene, living in warehouses. Right. And then you have this ridiculous band who is all audacity and names themselves definitely it, and literally changes the way they spell their name. So they don't look punk or new wave. And you have to think in 81, they they broke at radio. New Wave was a big deal in 81. I mean, that was still yeah. like, they like Jump hadn't happened yet. They weren't playing that on MTV. You weren't listening to like heavy metal on MTV like 24 hours a day. And, and when they do make it, they make it so big that I, I was able to dig up this quote from a news article where they were talking about the success of this this meager band from Sheffield who was starting to really have some international traction. And there's this guy, they find some some quote-unquote fan who says, they're a Sheffield band, but they've just grown too big. They've sold out. They've gone to America, haven't they? And then he ends his statement with what I'm sure was just hurt feelings at the time, but would come to be significant to this story we're talking about today. And to, to answer Craig's letter... He says something to the effect at the end of this quote of like, I, those guys will never play a place like the Wapentake again, that's for sure. And now I see the light. <laughs> I feel it. I'm holding my hands up. Craig, Yeah. what about the, the letter that we have here and where we're going? I hope everyone else is going with us too. Yeah, it turns out that that bitter fan was wrong. Def Leppard will play the Wap and Take again almost 15 years later doing an acoustic set. And that's the answer to your question. That's the video. Sir. When the when the guys are at the top of their fame, when they're when two steps behind is played in Last Action Hero starring Arnold Schwarzenegger and it's getting played on Top 40 Radio and I'm here getting skating rinks as a 10-year-old or a 12-year-old, they come up with a nice little press op and they go back to Sheffield. And of course, Sheffield pulls out all the stops and it literally becomes Def Leppard Day in Sheffield. But as you guessed, Def Leppard Day culminates at a little club under a now rundown hotel and that club is called the Wapentake. And bringing them on stage and handing them 15 pounds as joke payment as a nice little wink. Oh, yeah. Olga Marshall is there, and this becomes the fan classic VHS tape called Video Archive. And it's a nine-song acoustic set in a tiny club in their hometown. And, of course, we've got the whole thing in the show notes. Sadly, Olga Marshall's still paying 15 pounds for bands. (laughs) The good news is she's now paying in advance. Ladies and gentlemen, Prince Best Ever Rock Band, Def Leppard. Walk away if you want to. It's okay. 
from the shadow that's creeping up beside you. There's a magic running through your soul that you can't have at all. Whatever you do, I'll be two steps behind you. <laughs> Now, it's, it's interesting because the hotel and club have been completely demolished now. In the last few years, they've been taken down and there's new stuff in that space. They're not in Sheffield at all. You can see photos from both throughout their history and you can see the sort of the final demolition phase. All that stuff is in the show notes. Uh, but while you're there in the show notes, make sure to take one more glance at Olga. Because if it wasn't for that barmaid turned bar owner, turned rock and roll enthusiast and entrepreneur... You know, the new wave of British heavy metal and how it looked when it got to America might have, the whole thing might have crested in a totally different wave. Thank goodness for Olga for being the CEO of that operation to make sure that <laughs> rock and roll happened. Uh, it would say, I, it, I've got to say shouts to a guy named Neil Anderson. He's from Sheffield and he's like the single rock and roll historian of Sheffield. If you go look up this story, if you try to find any information about this, most of this information is coming at some at some place along the path Neil Anderson has been involved because he's been very vocal about getting this story out. He's written several books. There's one that has quite a quite a bit, a few chapters at least on on Olga and all of the different people that have come through Sheffield and played a part in it being a place that helped sort of birth, you know, heavy metal and heavy music in Europe. So it's really, really interesting stuff. I did run across a story in all of this that Neil Anderson in 95 is actually involved in getting them back to the Wapentake. And he goes to the Wapentake. Olga Marshall still runs it, by the way. So she uh, she gets there in the mid-70s and stays until like 96 or something, 96 or 97. And then she retires. She died just a couple of years ago in her 90s. And, but she worked in that bar for 20 years. But when he goes, she's not there. And he gets just some woman at the bar. And he's like, hey, I want to talk to Olga Marshall about Def Leppard playing here. And like the girl just is clueless and just tells him, yeah, we don't book live bands. I'm sorry. We're not going to be able to do that. Oh, it, it is. When someone it, doesn't know who you are. It's it's a legendary video. If you haven't seen it, take a look at this place. Look at this club with Def Leppard basically like on folding chairs in this tiny room. It's really fun. And thanks for the letter, Craig. Really appreciate it. And thank you, everybody, for listening to the show. If you've got a letter you want us, uh, or you've got a, a something you want us to look into, put it in the form of a letter and send it to us. We are the story guys at gmail.com. That is how you get to us. And you can find us a lot of different places, too. Instagram, it's backslash rock and roll bedtime stories. You can go ahead and uh, support the show with your hard-earned dollars when you go to patreon.com slash rock and roll bedtime stories. And, of course, the website is just wearethestoryguys.com. And uh, what should people keep doing until next time, Murdoch? Keep telling stories. <laughs>